This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to an episode of the Cooler Jets podcast. We're here with Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. And Michael, the name of our podcast is especially relevant today as we're going to be reacting to the green and white scrimmage that took place over the weekend. And Michael, I don't know about you, but I've seen a lot of reactionary takes to the offense struggling, in particular Zach Wilson and you know how the team is going to look. And keep in mind, this is it's barely a scrimmage. At this point, it's a practice five weeks away from the regular season. And I think people have already made up their minds on the type of career Zach Wilson's going to have and the type of team the Jets are going to field this year. You were there in person before we hop into it. We have a lot to talk about, but what was your initial reaction to um, the scrimmage itself and some of the uh, reactions you saw on Twitter? Yeah, I, I was there and, and it was a great environment. It, all the seats that were available were filled, um, but definitely the guy in front of me could have listened to the name of our podcast. He was saying, <laughs> This guy's under six feet. They should bring back Sam right now. I, I, this guy reminds me of Sanchez. Like, like, come on, guys. It, it's a green and white scrimmage. Like, it's August it's, 8th. It's not He's even a rookie. scrimmage. It's not even a scrimmage. It's, I mean, they're not even It's tackling. not even a scrimmage because a scrimmage is when you're simulating a game trying to win. This is practice. They're running through things, testing things out, just going through the motions, trying to make sure that they understand the playbook. Um, it's not, definitely not something to overreact to, but you know, Wilson definitely did have, you know, some legitimate things that you could take away on the negative side, but also on the positive side too, there were some good things to take away as well. So, uh, but the, it was really cool to, to be there and watch everything in person because you basically get like the all 22 view. Uh, so you can keep track of what everyone's doing, not just, you know, the results of the play, like who caught the pass, who threw it, which is what you do get from the reports. Uh, but to actually be there and track what's going on in coverage and the pass rushing on the offensive line uh, is really cool. So I was able to take a lot away um, in terms of how a lot of different guys are doing on in all three phases. So uh, it was it was a very fun environment to have fans back there. There was a lot of energy in there. It, it's going to be crazy when the real games come, especially right. if they win that Carolina game uh, for the Patriots home opener. But um, in addition to that, there were a lot of takeaways, both positive and negative, but with all of them cooling your jets is important because it is practice. And there's certainly a, a fine line that I think you and I are both trying to do a better job of walking this year of not being too reactionary, but also not being a Homer. So you, you want to criticize Zach Wilson when he deserves it. Uh, but at the same time, you don't want to be too reactionary to his seventh practice, his first time in an NFL stadium in front of a bunch of fans and look, it was a practice that wasn't necessarily the sharpest, but it wasn't a disaster. And 
you know, Michael and I have obtained some underground footage of every single play from the practice. And we've watched that. Obviously we can't release it, but I will say after watching it, I don't feel like the practice was nearly as bad as what I was reading. I mean, obviously you saw it in person, Michael, but as somebody who's on the West coast, you know, I'm just reading Twitter updates and the beat reporters are making it sound like it was like Sam Darnold seeing ghost game. What I saw when I watched it, and I guess we'll just hop right into this is it looked like a rookie quarterback is what it looked like to me. And uh, the encouraging thing to me was it actually didn't seem like he was necessarily making the wrong reads. Uh, What I saw in the practice clips that we watched, and again, to quote the great Allen Iverson, we're talking about practice is he was a little late on throws and, you know, in college, when you see an open receiver, a lot of times that's an open receiver, but in the NFL, when you see an open receiver at that point, he's probably not open. I mean, an open receiver in, in the NFL is a receiver who has leverage. And it seemed like he was missing throws by half a second, a second. He was inaccurate on some, some passes did get tipped at the line that Michael and I noticed that wasn't really reported. The blocking wasn't great. There were some drops, definitely some miscommunication at times. You could see the chemistry wasn't there. It looked like a guy who was a rookie quarterback on his seventh practice, and he has five weeks to go in the regular season. I actually was more encouraged after watching it. And again, I'm trying to avoid the Homer, you know, Homerism take here of being like, oh, relax. I think the problem with Zach Wilson is the the expectations are so high for him, and maybe even more so than other Jets quarterbacks because, look, if all the entire season, everybody was waiting for Trevor Lawrence, who's supposed to be this generational quarterback. So there was a segment of the Jets fan base that didn't want the Jets to move on from Sam Darnold. There's just a lot riding on his shoulders. The Jets have actually done a nice job of building around him. So I think, and not to mention Justin Herbert had a great rookie season last year. So the, the ceiling seems to be, or the expectation seems to be a lot higher maybe. And I think it's fair to say, you know, when we did our, our Zach Wilson deep dive podcast a few months ago, the sentiment was that this guy has all the talent in the world, but he might take, he might take a year. And I think that's what you see for a guy who's learning the speed of the NFL game. And I will say, Michael, when we watched it, it was not the shit show it was portrayed to be. What was your takeaway watching Zach Wilson uh, on Saturday's practice? Well, I agree with a lot of the things you said and rewatching some of the clips, I definitely came away not as concerned as I think I was initially just watching the results, um, you know, as they were happening. And then as I think most people who weren't there um, as concerned as they were just reading what was happening, um, there were legitimate things that he didn't do well. And, you know, we're not making excuses for everything. He missed some throws from clean pockets. Um, he had, he had two real interceptions. One was dropped, but that was basically an interception too. So basically three interceptions uh, and two of those were not good decisions. And he did miss a couple throws on the run, but for the most part, I think the biggest takeaway we both had is that, he was making the right decision other than two of the picks pretty much every play we watched, he threw the ball to the right guy. It was just a couple of beats late. Um, He's just a couple of seconds late or, you know, a few tenths of a second late on a few of them. And that's all the difference in the NFL. You got to be able to anticipate those throws um, and be, get that ball out, start getting the ball out, you know, before the receiver breaks open. And he had some instances of doing that. So he did show that capability and that's what being a rookie is all about. Show the capability to be able to do things. We don't expect you to do it all the time, but show us that you're capable. And there were some flashes of that and the decision-making was good for the most part. He was finding the right guy. Um, So I think that was the biggest takeaway. And there were also a couple, his accuracy, definitely he struggled a little bit. There was uh, a clean pocket throw to Corey Davis that he missed out ahead of him, but, but even that one actually. So, 
I think that's another takeaway from rewatching some of these. Um, on first glance, his accuracy wasn't good. The stats are out there. I think he was 11 for 24, which is obviously not good. But a few of his misses kind of and, – and look, no one's ever going to get this context from practice without re-watching the videos, which no one except us maniacs do. But <laughs> We watched every single them, rep. One of them was tipped by Foley Fadakasi. Another one, while he was scrambling, was um, the edge defender. I, we couldn't tell who it was. I think it was Hamill Carver Shed was right in his face, and he, it looked like he tipped the pass. Yeah. We, we went frame and by Connor frame. And Connor Hughes is tweeting, like, the ball, the ball died on him. Like, yeah. And it's like, that's it, not accurate. It looks like that. And, like, I don't blame people for thinking that. I thought it watching it first, but when you hit the film, it's not always the truth. And we went frame by frame. You could see the balls, like, got some it's fluttering a little bit is this a pruder film for one practice rep and it was uh that pass was tipped and then there was also one he missed over the middle to Corey davis that was too far out in front of him and i remember watching that one live and you know it looked really bad but watching it again davis kind of came out of his break and i don't know if he was expecting that to be a stop or a curl route or if he was you know not going to fully break over the middle um, but he's kind of stopped coming out of his break. And so Wilson didn't necessarily miss the pass. It was just a miscommunication, which they had a couple of those throughout the night too, which you expect from a rookie right. who's two weeks into practicing. So um, definitely rewatching some of these plays. It's not as concerning uh, as I, I think it was made out to be. And I initially thought it was, but, but at the same time, like it, it's not something to be sugarcoated. He wasn't amazing. He wasn't great. Right. And he's going through the normal rookie bumps. And, right. you know, it definitely is something that, you know, if he doesn't work out these mistakes through the preseason, through the early part of the regular season, then he couldn't have a Josh Allen type rookie year or even a Sam Darnold type rookie year uh, where you know, it does. He isn't a great quarterback right away. And if that's the case, that's OK. So uh, I think that's the main takeaway with Wilson. He looks like a rookie quarterback right now. It wasn't right. disastrous. Yeah, and it, exactly. It wasn't disastrous is, is the point to make here. I, I think for rookie quarterbacks, the downs are obviously going to be there. You just want to see the equal and opposite ups. And I think Sam Darnold, looking back, his rookie season was actually a pretty solid rookie year from you. And I've both said that as far as his career trajectory was concerned, at the end of his rookie year, it looked like he was trending upwards. You know, I think a lot of us assumed, especially after the first four ga- the last four games of that season, that he was going to keep developing, obviously, whether it was the hiring of Adam Gase and the construction of the roster, things didn't happen, but who knows if the Jets had built that team differently after that season, how his career would have gone, but he actually had a very solid rookie year. And you're right. We don't want to be too positive. Like I think Wilson deserves some criticism. There's one play in particular where, and Sam Darnold did this a lot. And look, I think Wilson's footwork is definitely sharper than Sam Darnold's was. I certainly think it's going to be a heavy emphasis. You can already see it in practice clips, his footwork, but uh, Wilson needs to learn in the NFL. You can't be fading back, you know, uh, throwing off your back foot as much as you could in college. You can't rely on your arm as much as, as, as you did. You need to be able to step up. And Wilson certainly shown that ability, but there were two passes in particular in practice where you saw him throw it off his back foot and they were a little more inaccurate. I mean, there was one over the middle of Corey Davis that was behind him and there was one on the sidelines that's completed, but it was out of bounds. The other thing to keep in mind is I think this defense is legit. I, I don't think this is some bum defense. And even though the corners aren't necessarily proven as we said that doesn't need to be the strength of this defense you know all you need is athletic guys who are who are doing their job as bill belichick always says because the jets are getting pressure and dropping seven guys into coverage and this is a complicated it's a it's a defense that stifled patrick mahomes for three quarters of the super bowl 
Um, so it looked like a guy who was in his seventh practice learning a new scheme at an NFL stadium for the first time and adjusting to the speed of the NFL. But I, he did not look like he was horrendous. It looked like a practice. And these are when those mistakes are supposed to be made. Obviously, during games, during the season, when he has kind of down games like this, it's certainly going to be – the criticism will be warranted. And I think Michael and I are going to try to do a better job of being more balanced. But going back and watching every rep – I'm certainly not as discouraged as maybe I was last night reading the tweets like, okay, we might be in, in store for a Josh Allen or a Jared Goff type rookie season where it's going to be kind of rough for a while. I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case. I just think there's going to be downs. I mean, there's going to be timing issues, but this looked like a, this looked like a practice. This didn't look like the issues that you might have in November or December for a rookie quarterback. This really looked like a, a rookie quarterback in training camp. The other thing is that Mosley interception too. You mentioned on three of the interceptions, I think, you know, the entire practice, I thought he, he went with the wrong read two of the times. One of them, the Gidry interception, you could argue that he could have got it to Crowder there if he was earlier, but he probably should have taken the check down. Um, but the Mosley interception, one, I don't really like the play design for any, you could probably find that clip on Twitter. That's been a pretty widely publicized clip. But for those who don't remember, I, was it more over the middle on the curl? I don't really remember. Or was it Crowder? I think it was Crowder. Over the, there, was, there was basically three routes. Uh, yeah, at the proud. sticks. Yeah, it was like third and nine or something, or fourth and nine. So it's fourth down in this simulated situation. It was fourth and nine. They have three receivers who all run curls to the sticks. The two and outside down six. That's also an down six. Part. Sorry, down six. And then you have Croft and the running back kind of flare out. So it's like I don't really love the play design because it's not that creative. You're not really going to throw to your running back, or your tight end in the flat there because it's fourth down, uh, and all the routes, uh, you know, didn't really get open. I think. The, the, the crowd, I think, it, I think it was Crowder over the middle. That's a great example. If you go back and watch that, that Crowder is actually the best option on the play for the situation. He throws it a beat too late. He throws it two beats too late. You could have squeezed it in there. And he actually does squeeze it in there to more a few plays early on a very similar play because he throws with anticipation. He throws before the break has already been made. What you're seeing right now is a rookie quarterback who's throwing when the receiver's open and less so when the receiver less so throwing the receiver open. Although you've seen him do that in college and a few times in these clips, regardless, as we said, to seventh practice, five weeks to go to the regular season, he is not going to be Aaron Rodgers out of the gate. He's going to be very up and down. If the Jets are going to win football games this year, it's going to be because of this defense, which I have to say, I, I think the Jets might win some football games because of this defense this year, because they look nasty. I mean, Robert Sala, the difference in, and this is something that Michael and I were talking about before the podcast. And I guess we can, we can talk about it a little bit here when we talk about the edge guys performances, because last year, Michael and I, we were talking about John Franklin Myers a lot as kind of a, a breakout predict, a predicted breakout kind of out of nowhere. And he definitely hit that. Michael and I's new guy for this year. You ready? Drum roll, please. No, or not. Bryce Huff, friend of the podcast as well. But I think Bryce Huff is going to be utilized. Michael, you can talk about this in the D Ford type of role because the wide nine system that Sala has run the last two years, the, the two years where he's had one of the, the best defenses in all football. When Sala first got to San Francisco, he basically ran a carbon copy of, of Seattle's cover three defense in 2017, 2018. If you go back and look at what Niners fans were saying, some people wanted Sala fired after that year because they just weren't that good. He, de- he changed the entire defense in 2019, 2020 made it a little bit more complicated, a less vanilla, less predictable. And he went to this wide nine front, which really relies on essentially having, you have two fast edge rushers who are lined up on the outsides of the tight end. And you need good linebackers, good instinctual linebackers to plug the gaps when you run the ball and be able to read the offensive line 
and whether or not it's a play action pass, because that's the weakness of it. And I think that's why Moses is going to shine. But Bryce Huff outside of Carl Lawson is probably the only other guy who can really execute that wide nine system. I guess talk about what you saw from the, the edge guys and your thoughts on, on the implementation of, of Salah's wide nine uh, defense with the current personnel of edge guys. Yeah, I, I think Bryce Huff definitely is in position to have that kind of breakout year. And, and we've seen, we've heard his name coming out of training camp. Um, and then when I was there yesterday, I saw a bunch of great reps from him. Um, his get off is really good. Uh, we know about his speed, but he's got good technique too. He can win in different ways. There was one play where he was on the edge against George fan in that wide nine alignment outside the tight end. Like you were mentioning, um, it was Croft and Croft chipped him inside, but Huff used it to his advantage because he went through the B gap, swam over, brought his left arm over George fan um, and won for a sack. So, uh, well, you know, a would be sack. He just right. stood there in front of Wilson. <laughs> so it, it's fun. It's funny. Those plays, like when the rushers just have to stop and stand there from the quarterback. It's so, it's such a non football play. Um, but yeah, Huff had a really nice night and uh, it seems like he's doing great throughout camp so far. And with Vinnie Curry out for the first game, it's, you know, Huff's kind of in that driver's seat to be the starting edge opposite Carl, Carl Lawson on so, third downs on third downs primarily. And, in that D Ford roles where he could really thrive Ford, uh, A lot of people mentioned Ford, like he's a big part of the Niners in 2019 and he was, but he wasn't a starter. He didn't even play half of the game. Usually he would play 35, 40% of the snaps on average. And it was predominantly on passing downs. And that's where he did a lot of damage. And I could see Huff doing the same thing, rotating in on third down in obvious passing situations uh, as that, you know, pass rush threat opposite Carl Lawson uh, kick Franco Myers inside Quinn Williams next to him. And that's one heck of a four man rush right there. So uh, I could definitely see Huff having a big season this year. Yeah. Huff put the stamp on it right now. Huff is the CYJ breakout player of the season. The other thing that the Niners would do with, with D Ford that they can definitely do with Huff because he's more athletic. He has played in that three, four um, scheme. They would put D Ford over the a gap, almost like he was a middle linebacker. And then sometimes either rush him there or drop him into coverage. So there's a lot of versatility that you can get there. And I agree. I think the starting four on first down, you're going to have John Franklin Myers at the edge, but he won't be in, uh, he'll probably be at a five tech there. And I think you have Fadakasi and Quinnen inside. And then you have Carl Lawson at that nine tech, that Leo spot. But then when you go to, to third down passing situations, I think that's where you slide Franklin Myers inside, replace Fadakasi, or you put Rankins there, whatever you want to do. And then you put, you bring in Bryce Huff. I think he's going to have a big season. And I don't think Vinnie Curry gets as many snaps when he comes back, because I think Bryce Huff is certainly going to impress. He's um, certainly impressed the coaching staff um, from all things that, that we've heard. I think on the flip side of that, the concern is offensive line hasn't looked great. What were your takeaways from seeing a lot more 11 on 11 reps? It seems like Becton may have had a, a better day against Carl Lawson than he's had, but the rest of the offensive line didn't seem like they were providing uh, Wilson that much time. Yeah. It, it's tough to watch the interior in these practices because for the most part, you're level with the field, like, you know, at the scrimmage, all this, everyone's sitting really close. And then at the practices you're close as well. So it, it's kind of blocked the view of the inside. Can't really see that so much. So I haven't really, been able to identify as much individually what's going on on the interior. But I think the tackles with the edge rushers have had more problems than the defensive tackle or the, the guards and centers, with the tackles and Quinn Williams hasn't been out there, but, but they, they still made a lot of plays. They've been good too. 
I just think the edge rushers have stood out more. Obviously, Lawson has been great against Becton. Huff has been really good. And Ronald Blair actually had some good plays with the second team um, when I was there, especially with his bull rush. Um, John Franken Myers, when he's been out there, has been playing well. He had on the interception Wilson threw to Joyner or the drops interception. Um, Franken Myers made a really good play where he's on the edge. It was a play action designed to get him flowing to the backside, and he didn't fall for the fake. Uh, stayed on the play side and create pressure for what probably would have been an easy sack. And then Wilson just threw up the ball for the dropped interception. So Franklin Myers in that role has looked good. Um, but with offensive line, I think it's at tackles where the base issues have been. But Becton did improve in the green and white scrimmage against Lawson. Lawson got him a couple times. Uh, there's one run stuff where he just blew right by, blew right past him around the corner. But he had some good reps. He did a much better job of using loss and speed against them, just kind of letting him burst up the field, getting him on that inside shoulder, and just sending him past the quarterback. Um, he absorbed his bull rushes better. So it was a much better day for Mekhi Becton against Lawson. But I feel like George Fant, well, this was George Fant's first appearance. There were definitely, uh, Bryce Huff got him a few times. I think Blair got him once. Um, but Morgan Moses, I, not that he's been bad, but yeah, I've seen him... I, Bryce Huff had some good moves against him in his practice. That that was actually a pretty competitive battle. Huff was beating him off the snap, and then Moses would recover. So that was a pretty competitive one. But Moses has taken some losses too. Um, but for the most part, it's kind of been a team effort. The defensive line is just overall, both edge and interior, been overwhelming. And one guy who I, I think when you and I were re-watching earlier, who kind of stood out to us on the interior D-line was – Fully Fadakasi, who's yeah. actually playing on some passing downs. There was uh, third and long, fourth and long situations in the two-minute drill that the Jets are running where Fadakasi was out there playing even some three-tech, um, and he created pressure multiple times on that drive. So um, maybe he plays a bigger role than we expect. Maybe he yeah. beats out Rankins and snaps. That would be interesting to watch. I think, and this kind of ties into what you're saying, I think the interior defensive linemen are going to be rotated a lot. The same with the edge. I think with Quinnen, you know, an issue with him, especially his rookie year, was his conditioning. And you could see that was something he really worked on his second year. He came in a little trimmer um, and he was able to go for longer. But even then, he wasn't playing the amount of snaps that DeForest Buckner. You, you did a great uh, breakdown of Jets X Factory, did the percentage of snaps for each of the guys and tried to lay out. But Quinnen Williams, and you have the exact numbers on this, but last year only played like 60% of the snaps, 60 something percent of the snaps. And Buckner's playing damn near 80% of the snaps. So, if it's going to be a, an exact transition, you're going to be requiring Quinn and Williams to be playing a lot more. He's missed the entire training camp up until this point. He's not going to come back till next week with a broken foot. You have to imagine that conditioning isn't there yet. It's going to take him a few weeks in training camp and in the regular season. So I think you're going to see a lot of rotation. I think you're going to see Quinn and play a good amount of snaps, obviously, but I think he's going to be getting rotated out a lot. I think you're going to see Nathan Shepard play there, Sheldon Rankins. You're going to slide Franklin Myers in there. And you're going to see a lot of Fadakasi as well. There's going to be a healthy rotation there. Um, I think by design, keep them fresh, but also with Quentin Williams conditioning being an issue in the past and the injury, I think you want to keep him especially fresh for the fourth quarter. Um, but this defensive line is, is the anchor of this team. Um, and we'll see what it's like when they go up against, you know, real competition this next weekend, which is exciting that it's, it's an actual game week uh, and throughout the season. But so far in the past for the jets to get pressure, 
they'd have to send eight guys and, and have three guys in coverage. Now with, with this scheme so far, it's maybe it's the Jets offensive line being terrible, but they're getting consistent pressure with the backups just by rushing forward, dropping everybody else into coverage. So uh, encouraging so far. I do have a few maybe negative takeaways that, you know, to kind of balance out some of the positivity we've had. I guess we did talk about the offensive line struggling. Um, one of them, here's a prediction for the season. Bold prediction, really bold one here. Uh, particularly in the preseason and then also beginning of the season. And this is a trade-off, and I think it's a smart trade-off. I think you're going to see a lot of missed tackles to open up the season uh, because the Jets, and I think it's a smart decision, have done no live tackling up to this point, even at that green and white quote-unquote scrimmage. There's still no live tackling. And I think that's going to have an effect. You know, uh, it's a lot of teams have that at the beginning of the season, if, even if they do live tackling. Last year, the Jets did plenty of live tackling in training camp and still missed a lot of tackles actually the one that stands out is against the 49ers. I mean, they couldn't tackle anybody in that game. I think the first month of the season, you're going to see a lot of missed tackles for this team because the trade-off is that you're going to have less injuries because there's not as much, it's not full contact. And I like that because your tackling gets better as the season goes on your injury and your health situation does not get better as the season goes on. So I think that is, uh, is something to keep an eye on. The other thing and Mike, we've talked a lot about this on the podcast and you kind of got to witness it from being there is, Obviously, um, Zach Wilson was leaning a lot on on Josh Johnson in between plays. It seems like he was talking to him a lot. And that's great. And look, Josh Johnson, he's been all over the place. He's been in this version of the system before. So it's possible he might be a great teacher. You and I both don't know. But if Michael Floor is going to be in the press box, not the press box, the coaching box, which I think he, maybe he likes because he gets a bird's eye view. He gets you know a little bit better view on the game and how to call it, whatever. That's fine. But who the hell is Zach Wilson going to be talking to after he throws an interception and comes back to the bench? He's going to be talking to his QB coach, Rob Calabrese, who it's his third year and his first year as a quarterback's coach. So maybe he's some wonder kid, but we don't know yet. And there's not really an established veteran starter who's seen it all in the NFL. I guess Josh Johnson's seen it all from he's been in a bunch of different situations, but he's never had long-term success as a star. It's not like he figured it out. So maybe he's a great teacher. But it seems like the Jets should have a veteran quarterback because obviously the whole Greg Knapp situation is tragic for so many other different reasons on a personal level and things that are bigger than football. But from a purely football perspective, it's it's was his presence on the sideline was going to be crucial for Zach Wilson. So I think we'll see how Josh Johnson does in that role, but I definitely think a veteran quarterback is a big need for this team. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely going to be a question mark. And but I think, like you said, with Johnson, we also don't know with Calabrese. Maybe, you know, even though he's inexperienced in the NFL, hasn't been an NFL quarterback, maybe he is just a great quarterback mind and a great teacher, and he can handle that role. We don't know that for sure. So even if Wilson does struggle, it, it'll be hard to attribute that to the situation with the coaching staff. But it, it is something worth considering as a potential issue because we don't know for sure whether Calabrese is capable of doing that. Um, but it, it, I think the Jets do have a good idea and can be honest with themselves about it. And if they feel like it's something they really need, then, you know, if, if Johnson is capable of doing that, if they think he'd be useful in that role, then maybe he will make the roster f- for that purpose. And if they do think they need maybe even um, another veteran quarterback to come in, then maybe they'll do that. Um, but I think they have the best knowledge of this particular situation because we, we just don't know. Right. We can't judge guys' leadership skills based on how long they played, how long they've been coaching. 
because you know experience is great but it doesn't necessarily make you a good leader and right. just because you well, don't not, have a lot of experience it doesn't mean that you aren't a good teacher or a good coach so um i think the jets have a good idea of what they need to do and they'll handle it as, as best as they can i think it, yeah i think it just scares me to think about yeah, Lafleur in practice seems to be the guy who's primarily working with him, and he's not going to be on the on the sideline with him. So he can he can ring up to the to the box and use the phone on the sideline and talk to him, and obviously they can talk at halftime and whatnot. But if Calabrese and or Josh Johnson are not the not just leadership, but they have to be, it's football acumen. It's looking at you know the coverage the defense presented to you and figuring out what you saw and how you should change it. I mean, just like the little coaching adjustments you have to make inside of a game. Um, maybe Johnson and Calabrese is the answer to that. My feeling was that Greg Knapp was going to be huge for that part of the game for him. And right now the jets aren't going to get that. So um, we'll see what they do there. I, I think another thing, and you notice this in particular, the coverage looks, looked pretty damn good. I mean, not as much man coverage in years past. So it's a little harder to, to figure out who's good and who's bad, but this defense looked pretty damn good, not just on in, in the trenches rushing the passer, but in coverage in particular, you know, a guy that I've been kind of hard on, LaMarcus Joyner. I think we're trying to find guys who are going to be the, the, you know, the bums of this team because they're always there. And I've said, okay, I think LaMarcus Joyner could be one of those guys that is benched in the middle of the season, another Pierre Desir. He had a damn good practice. CJ Mosley looked damn good, slimmed down, made a few pass breakups. And Bryce Hall in particular, he's had a really good training camp. I mean, you saw, you saw some of the reps in person uh, of his one-on-ones with Elijah Moore, who is not easy to stick with. And Hall put the clamps on him a number of times. Yeah, definitely. It was a great day in coverage, just as much as it was for the pass rush. And the three guys you mentioned really stood out. Joyner had a deflection on Crowder to set up a diving interception for Mosley. He also had had pretty tight coverage on a great catch by Moore over the middle. That was a really good throw by Wilson. Put it low for Moore to go over the middle, make that grab. Um, And then Bryce Hall had a really great performance. It was not one that I think anyone has written about or talked about because he didn't do anything on the ball, no deflections or picks or anything like that. But I was watching him the whole game because he was playing left corner the majority of the time. And that was on my side of the stadium, um, at least when the offense was going in that direction. So he had a lot of reps right in front of me and I was, able to focus on him he was matching up against more a lot as he has been throughout training camp and he was locking down legitimately great man-to-man reps against more just had smooth hips when more would change directions um, there was one rep where he pressed more at the line got a, a great jam on him completely threw the route off um, and a lot of the big plays the jets made the turnovers um, whether it was wilson's interception to mosley the tipped one by joiner or the dropped interception by Joyner, both of those, Hall had really good coverage on Moore to take him away as an option, and that contributed to Wilson making an aggressive throw and resulting in the turnover. So Hall had a really good performance in coverage. He gave up one catch to Corey Davis that was tightly contested on the sideline. Um, Other than that, he, he had so many really good reps. And also when he plays zone, just he's playing his role well. He communicates, yeah. points things out to his teammates, knows where he needs to be. He'll carry the route upfield, pass it off when he's supposed to, then come back down into the flat. So he looked great. He was probably, I, I honestly think he was the best player on the field. The most consistent player on the field wow. was probably him. So it, it, it's been really promising because he's been doing this all, all camp, it feels like. It's just that Moore has been so amazing that he's still been coming up with catches against this coverage. 
Um, but Hall's been right there with him. And this is not a matchup you'd think he'd do okay with as a big guy against a smaller receiver. But tonight or last night, he finally came up on the winning end and, and really shut more down. He didn't give up any catches to more. More made catches against other guys, against Bless Austin, um, when he went over, over the middle against Joyner. But against Hall, nothing. So it was a yeah. great day for him. And then mostly, too, the diving interception was – you know, not necessarily a coverage play. It was opportunistic, but very he's athletic. He's good at those, though. The yeah, pick six he, against he Buffalo. He's good at those. And he had one against when he was still with Baltimore, uh, when he dropped off as a blitzer in Cleveland, made a pick like that. Yeah. So he is kind of good at those opportunities. 99 plays. awareness on Madden right there. So, yeah, it, it is a skill, uh, even though it's not you know necessarily coverage. It's, it's a play you'd like to see made. Um, so he did do that. He, and he had a really good pass breakup on Chris Herndon on – a quick little stop route. Uh, so mostly great as well. So those three guys really stood out in coverage. Well, we just kind of, we were talking about Bryce Hall and I think obviously we switched gears a little bit to Mosley, but let's talk about some other 2020 rookies because last episode, the title of the podcast, even though it was just one prediction was which 2020 rookie. And we only laid out four, but uh, you know, you, on the graphic, you put Bryce Hall out there, but which 2020 rookie um, was going to have the biggest breakout because I think we've established, okay, the very least, Becton's going to be a good player. We'll see how his career turns out, whether it's injuries or if he can hit that all-pro status, but pretty certain that the Jets got a good one in, in Mekhi Becton at left tackle. Outside of that, you know, Denzel Mims had a, a promising year last year, but has obviously fallen down the depth chart. Uh, let's kind of just go through this a little bit. Denzel Mims, been a big, hotly contested topic the last few days that some, I think, pro football talk floated that he could even be cut, which I don't think is you know, I, I don't think that's a possibility at all. Maybe next year, if he really struggles, I think he would obviously be traded before he was cut, but I don't think there's any chance the jets trade him. Um, he had a nice play at the Greenwood scrimmage. You, you witnessed as well. I guess, what are your thoughts on the whole Denzel Mim situation? It, it is really tough to figure out because on field, he hasn't been bad. He hasn't been a standout like Elijah Moore or Corey Dave or Corey Davis at times, even Braxton Barrios has had some standout moments. So, no, he hasn't necessarily been that, but he hasn't been bad, at least based on the reports that I remember reading and the two times I've watched in person. Um, in this practice, he had a great contested catch against, I believe it was Ballantyne. He went up, and Mike White kind of threw a contested ball that was almost picked. Um, and Mims just did what he does, got above the rim and made the catch. Uh, that was his only notable catch, I think. But you and I both saw on um, – um, the touchdown Mike White threw to Josh Malone. Right. Denzel Mims was open for a touchdown too. He beat Ballantyne for an out route. Then in one on ones, he went against and, good, and a damn good route there, by the way. Yeah, it was a really good route. He stacked him up, broke outside, was open to the front pylon. Um, then in the one on one drills, he beat Jason Pinnock on an out route and drew a flag. So uh, he's kind of, he's, he's, I think he's doing pretty well against this third team and second yeah. team competition. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> which you would hope so. And he is. So I, I think it has to be something off field, whether it's the film room and just, you know, picking up the playbook or a motivation or drive sort of thing. You know, how invested is he, is he into the game? I think it's gotta be something along those yeah. lines. And they're trying to just motivate him a little bit because on field and also the blocking is going to be important at, for the wide receivers in this offense. They run a lot of condensed formations, with the receivers tight to the line, uh, to the offensive line and they're going to have to block and outside of Corey Davis, Keelan Cole is good as well, but he's not a huge guy. 
And Mims and Davis are your two big body wide receivers who can really create movement as blockers. Right. And I think that should get him on the field as well. And, and Vincent Smith is getting reps over him. And I know Smith is a good athlete. He's an end around threat, which is u- useful in this offense. So I think he will make the team and should get playing time for that role. But Vincent Smith is not making the contested catches, providing the big catch radius that Denzel Mims can. And I think those things are huge for a rookie quarterback, especially one in Zach Wilson, who is fairly aggressive and confident and likes to try those throws. So I, I, it's, it's tough to decipher. It has to be something that we don't really know about that's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. I, I don't want to speculate here. I agree with you. It, it has to be something with, you know, the playbook or motivation, like you said, you know, maybe nagging injury, who knows? There's something going on here with Denzel Mims. I don't think it's enough for him to get cut. Um, yeah, I think it's also, it's his first training camp. He was injured all the last one. He didn't get any of the um, mini camp or OTAs his rookie year because of COVID. And then this year he was hurt for most of them. He only played half the season in those games. He didn't get thrown to that much. So he had, he flashed at times, but he really, he needs reps is what the coaching staff has said. Uh, and his route running needs work. I mean, that's what he's primarily working on. I just don't think it's, I, I don't see any way the Jets are giving up on a receiver that talented who's, Yes, he's raw, but he's not raw in the sense that he's incapable of going out there and having success right now because you could put Denzel Mims out there and he could get you a couple contested contested catches. Obviously, he's good on those back shoulder plays. The nine route um, fades in the end zone. He can play basketball, like you said. It's just diversifying his route tree, and that's going to be a big trait in this offense. But like you said, he's a great run blocker. And one of the things you noticed as well was that a lot of condensed formations. I mean, obviously, the Jets can use a lot of, of motion, and they went spread a few times, but it seems like the Jets are going to run a lot of condensed, uh, going to run a lot of their offense from a condensed formation, which is going to be crucial that the receivers can block because you're going to be relying on good blocking by the receivers because you're going to crowd the box a little bit. You use motion to try to free it up a little bit, but you need good blocking there. And if the Jets are going to roll with Elijah Moore and Jameson Crowder as two of their three starting receivers, not the best blockers there. I think both are willing blockers, but yeah, Denzel Mims is a, is a damn good blocker in his own right. So I don't buy all the Mims slander. At the same time, I don't think it's nothing. I think that there is something going on. I agree with you. Um, more so than the route running it is probably something with the playbook. He's probably having a tough time picking it up if I had to guess. But that's, again, 100% speculation. I know Richard Meany had that article, but... Um, I still believe in Denzel Mims. I still think that he's going to make an impact by the end of the year, but I do. Yeah. I don't think he's going to be there. There's a possibility that he's not even act. I mean, right now he wouldn't be on the active roster. He might make the 53, but not be one of the active guys on game day, especially since he doesn't bring anything on special teams. So Mims is a project and he's uh, going to continue to develop. I we'll see what the jets do here, but I, I don't think that they're going to trade him or cut him or anything. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, Zuniga and Davis, two guys that have just struggled with injuries. Davis, no takeaways because he's been hurt the entire time. He's not going to even come back until week two reportedly. So we don't even have to really address that. But uh, Zuniga, another guy that I think he's injured right now, but seems like he was having a better mini camp in the first part of training camp. He's another guy. If you talk about that Leo role who can play that nine tech, he's a little bit more of a run stopper and he's maybe not an ideal nine tech, but he's explosive as hell. You could definitely put him there. Um, so it's a crowded defensive line room, but again, I think he makes the roster. Um, let's talk about the backup quarterbacks because continue with the 2020 thread, James Morgan, and then not a 2020 draft pick, but Mike White, it seems like they had a 
pretty damn good day out there. I mean, ups and downs, but Mike White had a number of, of good throws. And James Morgan seemed to me that, that you thought he flashed more than White, even though White was getting more of the praise. Yeah, both those guys definitely had pretty good days, I think. Morgan did throw an interception to Zane Lewis, um, but he, he had probably the best throw of the day. He's rolled out to his right, um, planted his feet outside the pocket, and was patient. He let Josh Malone kind of add some more depth to his route so he could clear the defenders and then put up a really good ball that he lofted over um, the defensive back, and Malone pulled it in for a touchdown. So that was a great throw. Um, he had the throw to Michael Carter for a touchdown. That was, it was just an easy check down into the flat, but he led them on a touchdown drive there, um, one of two. And then Mike White had a couple scoring drives too. Um, the throw he made to Josh Malone for a touchdown was great, um, floating it up to the back corner of the end zone. Um, and he also hit Kenny Yaboa in, in the red zone, up the seam on the left side, in the back of the end zone for a touchdown there. So both guys, and, and they weren't great. Both guys had their ugly plays too. Um, but they also did have more flashes than Wilson did in on this night. So they, they both played pretty well. So, but that's also, also, also not going against the first team defense should be noted. Yeah. Yeah. Completely different. And there's definitely the, you know, the 13 pass rush was the 13 pass rush against the O-line. The O-line was winning it pretty, pretty easily. And so I would say the second team is a little bit closer, but when White was out there with the third team, he had a lot of clean pockets to work with. Um, but it's still positive to see these guys play well because we've been, you know, com- complaining about and, and you know, warranted about how bad they've been throughout this offseason, how much trouble the Jets would be in if one of them goes in. So this was a good step forward as the preseason, uh, you know, comes upon us. It's going to be their time to show that they can be trusted as a backup, especially with Johnson in the building now. So uh, good day for those two. I, I, I wouldn't overhype it because, again, they both did have their share of bad plays, but they did a, a solid job for the first time. I think uh, at, at least, you know, following the reports of it and everything, it seems like they, this is the first time that both of them looked uh, pretty good in the same day. Yeah. Another 2020 draft pick, Michael P Ryan, who you've been critical of um, Sala has referred to him as the power, the team's power back. So it's possible P Ryan is going to be that goal line, big bodied back in those short yardage situations. It seems like he's having a much better camp. You know, the thing with, with Piran, and this goes for a lot of players, like I've seen this referred to about Connor McGovern last season, is a lot of these guys have nagging injuries the entire season. It happened with Quinn and Williams' rookie year where they play through it, but they're not 100%, and that does affect their play. You know, Michael Piran had a pretty serious ankle injury at the green and white scrimmage last year. You don't know how much that affected his explosiveness, but it seems like at least maybe as a veteran, the vision is approved, maybe it's a better scheme for him, whatever. He seems to be a lot more comfortable, and he has a, a – sizable workload when i think earlier in the offseason you were floating him around as a potential cut candidate um what were your thoughts on the michael p ryan and then i guess the other running backs as well yeah there was one run from p ryan in particular that really showed progress for me um i I believe it was a stretch run to the right side and he bent it all the way back to the backside edge ran outside of the left tackle and picked up a nice gain and it was just uh, it was the exact type of play that he wouldn't make last year and that led to him being unproductive and why I wasn't a fan of him. Um, it was plays like that where he'd kind of just run into a wall, not see a backside hole or just any hole and kind of just take the hand off, go downhill. And that's really the end of it. Might be a coaching thing as well. Which, which could have been an impact, um, a result of that. Um, but it was good to see him be able to do that. 
and, and show that vision capability. So that was just one play. And he had some other good runs as well, but uh, that one really stood out to me. And it, it's example an example of something that he needs to do more frequently if he's going to be able to play well. Um, and as for the other running backs, Carter probably was got the most headlines because of his touchdown, but he, he made some nice first level cuts behind the line of scrimmage where there was instant penetration. He would quickly dodge it, get a good gain out of the play. Uh, and, and that's something with this defense. You can clearly see it. These guys up front are shooting gaps aggressively, and they're going to get run out of some plays. Carl Lawson did it once. Trevon Wesco had a great block against him, where Lawson just shot right through the C gap, at like like a cannon, just straight through. And Wesco, like it looks great, it's good penetration, but it makes it easy for the blocker to just carry your momentum, and take you right out of the play. So that's the type of defense they're going to play, and the linebackers are going to have to cover for that. Um, but but in terms of Carter, they're Against that type of penetration, he did a good job of recognizing it, getting out of the way, um, finding the hole, and making some nice gains. Also, as a kickoff returner, Carter had a possible touchdown. He only had uh, Matt Amendola, the kicker, in front of him. Uh, I, he was against the sideline. It might not have been a touchdown, but it would have been at least 50 yards. So he had a great kickoff return as well. So Carter looked good. Ty Johnson was the first running back out with the first team, although they rotated it uh, throughout the night. And he, he had one play stood out. He had a really good one-handed catch on a short pass in the flat by Wilson that was too out, too far outside. Um, so that was nice. Um, those three guys and those particular things are probably what stood out the most for me at running back. Yeah, and then to round out, and obviously Cameron Clark, there's no news there outside of that he's healthy after the injury scare this, this week. You know, he was obviously the biggest project that Jets had drafted, so we don't have to talk about him. But Braden Mann, and look, we did a podcast a few months ago where the question was most overrated Jet, and I and I gave this answer. And it was met with some criticism, but I I know I think you agree. Obviously, there's a bit of a Braden Mann man crush, no pun intended, uh, on that your end. That was a good one. That was a and good one. You go. You're welcome. <laughs> that can be the title of your next article. But man crush over. Um, that, I've got to say, I'm not impressed with him. I mean, his tackling legitimately or was a legitimate skill last year. I mean, like that's, that's a legitimate thing that you would want in a punter. The fact that he saved three or four touchdowns. And obviously the fact that we were cheering for losses, we didn't really get appreciated as much because we're like, damn it, (laughs) especially in that Rams game. But you know, if the jets were actually competing for something, Braden man was a bit of a hero in a few games um, by saving by saving touchdowns. So obviously that aspect of it is great. I think when he switched and did some kickoffs, he did a nice job there. He had some punts that the defense or the, the special teams unit didn't get down in time to down it. But outside of that, I gotta be honest, it was pretty anemic his rookie year from punting. It was meh. And he got a lot of work in that green and white scrimmage, in which case, you know, not a real game, not really a live rush. Not impressive. Not impressive punts. I mean, you can give a better. We we have the film of the Braden Man punts we were watching, and it. Eh, I mean, like, was it you in the clip that goes, "Oh, he's horrible"? <laughs> I, I said, like, "I said that was an awful punt." I didn't oh, say yeah, he's horrible. A... I'm not like these other fans. Oh, sorry. See. That was that was somebody referring to to Zach Wilson after an interception. But... Oh yeah, that that was funny. It was after one interception. So oh, he's oh, horrible. He's horrible. <laughs> but the um, yeah, I mean the Braden Manning, the Braden Manning. The Braden Man performance, 
not not spectacular in his rookie year and Brant Boyer seemed to be high on him I was listening to his press conference for a few days ago he thought he was gonna have a really good year and he still might again same thing applies to man that applies to everybody else in this team it's a scrimmage five weeks away from the season but it's a little difference when you're a rookie quarterback reading coverages when you're pretty much a punter doing the same thing you've done the your entire life and I don't know I, I was unimpressed yeah. with the braid man performance yeah it, and I think you are being a little bit generous he he was bad he was bad in the scrimmage. I was disappointed. The first punt, and we both watched it, was a complete shank, which he was from, I think, his own 42-yard line, and it landed at the about the 30-yard line on the other side of the field. And yeah, like then, my, the high school punter that I went to school with could punt farther than that. Yeah, and that was his worst one, but he kept punting from that range where it's like you'd like to be able to get it around the 10-yard line. Or, you know, those special punts right. where you get it at the one, like those are great, but the 10 yard line is that benchmark spot that you want to hit. That's where you can, you know, either force a fair catch inside the well inside the 20, or if the returner lets it bounce, you have a good chance to down it even further than that. So that 10 yard line is where you want to be. But he kept kicking it at the 20, the 25, just that's a lot of yards you're leaving on the field when you're punting five, six times a game. Know, which hopefully he doesn't do but regardless of how many times you're punting like you're leaving yards out there by doing that it's bad it hurts the defense it, it, that's one whole extra first down that you're giving up before the drive even starts by missing those so he had a bunch of these pooch punts that just uh, and i guess you know the positive of it is that you know he's forcing fair catches so there was no return potential right. but they, they were way too short well, when that- you keep kicking 30 yard punts that was a criticism of his coming out was that he would sometimes outkick the coverage because he yeah. has such a massive leg we just haven't seen the leg so i don't know if that's a coaching thing that they're trying to get him to focus on hang time but it's like i just i don't know brent boyer knows a hell of a lot more than yeah, I do. but I, a, I would I, just say boom it as far as you can because i mean yeah 30 yard punt is unacceptable yeah i think he's just kind of overcorrecting and struggling to bring it all together because we know he has the leg power you saw it in college that's why he was the ray guy award winner that's why he has all those distance records his hang time too second half of last season i believe he was top 10 in hang time average and we've seen i saw some precise punts last year where he pinned guys against the sideline so i've seen all the tools intermittently in different spots but it's just about bringing it together and i feel like in this practice, he's kind of overcorrecting from last year where he gave up a lot of big returns. Was kind I mean, sometimes he outkicked the coverage, but the coverage is also just bad. Um, kind of overcorrecting off of that. Yeah. And it, kicking these high punts and sacrificing a lot of distance to do that, which you can't really do because you're just giving up too many yards by doing that. So yeah. he's got to bring it all together and just just let it fly. Have because uh, I know he has the ability, the ability we've seen it. So he's just got to let it fly and uh, allow all those traits to come together at once. Because right now, I think in this practice, he was just trying too hard to not allow returns. And that led to some some pretty bad punts. Yeah, screw directional punting, screw hang time, just kickball far. That's all I care about. But exactly. I mean, obviously, obviously, Brent Boyer knows a hell of a lot more than me. But um, that is something to keep an eye on for. Because if he, I mean, he's better than Lack Edwards last year, right? Is that fair to say? He, he was like he was good well, as a holder. I, I don't know because Edwards is hard to evaluate because he was. It didn't seem like he was that great, but the punt team put up great numbers when right. he was there. So 
I don't, it's hard to tell how much was him, how much is just great coverage, but overall the punt unit was good. And then with man last year, it was bad. So yeah. team effort Edwards has the advantage, but I, I do think man has more talent than Edwards does. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. And as a whole, I've seen the reason I wanted to run through that real quick. is just in the response to our last podcast. And I've seen that like with the whole Denzel Mims storyline this week that I've seen this draft class get a lot of criticism. And we kind of touched on this a little bit last week, but I just wanted to say that, look, there's a few reasons why I, I think I would withhold. I think there's, look, again, going back to what we said at the beginning of the episode, there's plenty of room to criticize certain things. Like I didn't love the Ashton Davis pick. I didn't love the Jabari Zuniga pick when they happened. Didn't love the James Morgan pick, but a few things. One, Joe Douglas is a clear emphasis on working with the coaching staff when drafting, which I think is a very smart approach because that's how you establish a, a part, a one vision, a particular vision. When you see a player, you say that's Jets football. Like when you see a, a, you understand the Steelers identity, you understand the Patriots identity, like there's a type of player. So when you have a personnel department and a coaching staff working together in one cohesive vision, that's definitely the best of way to do things. So this draft class was under an Adam Gase coaching staff. So that is, that does matter. You don't know how any of these picks were, because Adam Gase or remember the coaching staff really pushed for a player. They were trying to fit them into that scheme and they're not as good of a scheme fit. Denzel Mims is a good example. And Gase's offense was on the outset, a great scheme fit And this offense is going to take some work. Um, the other thing is, is you can't always, first of all, in the draft, not every player is going to hit. I mean, if the jets walk out of that draft class with Becton and hall as starters, let's say, let's say Becton hall and, P Ryan, right. As, as legitimate cont- contributors and, you know, maybe Ashton Davis contributes on special teams and as a backup and everybody else sucks, whatever. That's still a solid draft class, right? I mean, you look at all the jets draft class the last decade, there's no members on any of those 2015 drafts, 2016 drafts. I think may is the only guy from 2017. It just, just try to get some sort of contributors, especially top end contributors, like potentially Beckton and potentially hall. That's a big deal. Uh, and also, I think you have to grade the process more than the outcome. For example, I love this Jets draft class, the 2021 draft class, a lot more than 2020. I still thought I still like 2020 at the time. But even if the 2021 draft class finds a way to, to flop, I still don't know if I'll, you know, it depends the level it flops, but I love the process for the 2021 draft class. You, there's some things you can't control, like injuries or scheme fits or whatever, uh, you know, whatever happens in a player's career, but you have to grade the process more so. And I liked the process in the 2020 draft class. I loved the process in the 2021 draft class. So Michael, you know, we've seen some criticism in that in response to the last podcast and Denzel Mims and whatnot. Uh, what are your thoughts on this 2020 draft class? And as we kind of close things out in this episode, your expectations for them this year? I think one thing that's important with evaluating draft classes is that you have to understand how hard it is to put together a full good draft class and how rare that is it, a good draft class in the NFL is like three or four good starters. That's great. You look at the best draft classes in recent history and you know, the draft classes that have built the backbone of championship teams, that's what they're doing. It's like three or four good players a year. You're never going to have your 10 player draft class. Every single player be a hit. You're right. it, even if your draft class has, you know, seven out of your 10 players bust, that's perfectly normal. So I think that's the thing that a lot of people miss when they evaluate draft classes is their standards are too high. The vast majority of these picks bust, even in the early rounds, it's, you know, 
first round's probably 50-50. Second round's probably 30%, 25%. Third round, even lower than that. And then you get into day three, and it's, you know, you're very lucky if any guy you pick in that round is good. So I think that's the biggest thing. Standards are too high for these draft classes. If you can get two, three good starters, then you're doing great. Imagine if you can do that every single year, how quickly your roster is going to build up, how strong you're going to get. Uh, if you could just get three good guys a season. Right. So I think that's the biggest thing. So you look at this 2020 class, Makai Becton, good starter. We'll see how, how good he becomes. But at the, at the very least, like you said, I think he's a good starter. Then beyond that, you have Bryce Hall, who's probably going to go into his second season as a starter. Can he establish himself as a good one? We'll see. But that could be your second piece. Hey, maybe then, Bryce Huff, too. And Bryce Huff, as an undrafted free agent, might be starting in the first game of the season. So that's three starters right there. Man. One of them you know is good. Two of them have a lot of potential. Denzel Mims is still there with, you know, it's not looking great right now, but it's way too early to write off the potential he showed last year when he was one of the, I believe, only six receivers in league history to put up at least 40 yards in each of his first six games. Can't just forget about that in one right. year. And add um, some spectacular catches. Yeah, and just that high-end potential that he has. Uh, and there are a few other guys in there in the mix who have the chance to be something. P. Ryan, Ashton Davis, we'll see when he comes back. Um, but at the very least, I think you have one good starter and you have two guys who are going to be a going to get a chance in Hall and Huff who, uh, who will get the chance to be starters at the beginning of the season right. um, and prove that maybe they become can become good down the line. So um, yeah. I, I think that's the most important thing. It's just keep your standards low with draft right. classes. There, there's no such thing as teams hitting on every single pick if you hit on half of your picks in one class that's amazing if you can get three or four guys that are keepers help your team long term that's great so i think that's what you're shooting for yeah and you also have to understand the context too of picks you know if there is a guy to say at the same position who is a similar scheme fit um and he goes on to team b and really thrives and the guy you took doesn't doesn't play well so it was a very clear decision between the two or you at least consider that player that's that's room for you know criticism. I think the example of 2021 would be if Zach Wilson is a complete flop and Trey Lance is great with the Niners. That's fair to criticize the Jets for. You know, I, I think that's completely valid. You know, even though I like the process of taking Zach Wilson, you can also factor in context. But like Denzel Mims, look, they traded back for him. He was a good scheme fit with Adam Gase. He still flashed year one. And by the way, like the other thing is, is like he's not a complete bust. Like he has a very actionable skill that even if he never becomes a number one receiver, you could, I still feel like he's a, a number four receiver on, on a lot of teams because he's such a good jump ball specialist. It's like, I don't know. I, I, that pick to me, I still, I still like the process in that pick, even if he does end up flopping. But while, I don't think he will. I, I do think he'll find success here. I think he's too talented not to. Um, there's one, one more topic I forgot to bring up because we were talking about rookies. And look, as we said before, Right now, it's looking like there could be seven rookies starting between the four offensive rookies. I mean, it depends. You said Ty Johnson took the first rep, so maybe Michael Carter's not the official starter. Then on defense, you had Hamza, who you said looked pretty comfortable. Him and him and Jamie and Sherwood looked pretty comfortable in the scrimmage last night. Um, and then you have Michael Carter, the second, starting the slot, most likely. So that's six right there. And then your kicker is probably going to be a rookie. Right now, the kicker battle between two rookies, there's also Ho uh, Jose Borregales, who's in – Tampa Bay, who will most likely get cut. The Jets have the second waiver claim, could claim him, who's another rookie. So it seems like there's a there's a scenario out there where the Jets end up trotting out seven rookies. 
But let's talk about that kicker competition because you got to see it up close and personal. What were your thoughts on the two kickers and who has the edge right now? Yeah, I think as it turned out, you know, Amendola made all four of his kicks in the kicking session. Nagar made one out of four. Um, And I kind of, not that I would predict it to go exactly that way, but I already had the impression that Amendola was better, even in warmups. The ball just was coming off for him a lot better. He has legitimate power. He was getting it above the uprights on his short kicks. The deep ones had plenty of distance. And Nagar just doesn't come off with that much life to it. Kind of just flutters through the air, line drive. Didn't look great. So it wasn't surprising to see him struggle significantly more than Amendola did. And Nagar also almost kicked a a kickoff out of bounds. Both guys did some kickoffs, um, and that stood out. Nagar almost kicked one out of bounds, bounced right past the pylon. Um, So he really struggled. Amendola did miss an extra point at the end of the practice, but he had a good day. So at least from the one experience I've seen in person, a huge advantage to, uh, to Amendola. Um, so that, that's definitely the save the kicking battle right now. But like you said, Borgales will be interesting to watch. Um, and then the rookie linebackers with Hamza Nasruddin and Jamie and Sherwood, uh, they look pretty comfortable. I didn't notice them out of position that much. Sherwood had some good run fits where he played his role pretty well and was where he was supposed to be. And Hamza, what stands out with him, obviously he's known for his big hitting. And you could kind of see that even in this practice where they're not allowed to hit. You could just see how aggressively he pursues the ball. And then even when he was just kind of, you know, driving his shoulder into a guy, giving like a half effort kind of hit, you could still kind of see how much pop he has. So those two guys uh, definitely stood out in that way. All right. Well, I think I think we've covered the green and white scrimmage uh, in depth. More more than enough. More than enough. We did go back and watch. More than is healthy. Yeah, I mean, we did watch, we spent like an hour and a half watching every rep and analyzing it, so we need help. But, Michael, <laughs> uh, good news for us, there's actual football, actual Jets football this weekend. So our next podcast is coming out on Thursday. will be a preview of the Jets and Giants preseason week one game. Obviously, it's a bit of a different preview because it's more of a, less about the winning the game and more about what we're looking to see, but it's fun that we're actually we're in football season. It's, it's exciting. So it is game week officially, you know, a few more weeks till the games actually matter, but it'll still be nice to, to get an actual, um, you know, perspective on, on each player. And I think that giants game, obviously, but more so, I think the Packers week getting those two practices against a very good team, a team that made a deep playoff run, um, getting a couple of those joint practices. And then the game, the second preseason game, which presumably the starters will play more. I think those uh, that week in particular is going to be a great litmus test for where Zach Wilson is and where the rest of the team is, where the tackling is. Um, but the Giants game as well is going to be a, a nice, nice little test for the team. Um, but obviously, very exciting that finally football season we've been doing. Uh, as, as we said in our last podcast, that it's like we're beating a dead horse here, coming up with topics. We're literally analyzed a practice, so now we have time to to talk about the actual game. So looking forward to that. You can follow us at CYJ Pod on Twitter, myself at Ben W. Blessington, Michael at Michael underscore Nania. Uh, go to jetsxfactor.com for the best place to go for Jets content. Please rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Helps out the podcast a ton. Michael, any last words? I think for um, – well, now that we're at this point, it might be a little bit too late for it. But what we should be doing is anytime one of us makes a ridiculously positive or negative claim about something that happens in practice, oh God, we need to drop the Allen Iverson soundbite in.
just right after that. It's like oh, it's okay. like a disclaimer to let people. I, know. I thought I thought you were gonna say we should lean into the cooler jets because we we've done that before. We've actually sat on the podcast and it came off a little corny, but I think it's a I think little on the nose. Well, I think for I think it's it's useful for this week because I've seen a lot of reactionary takes to this team and Wilson, and everybody just needs to take a deep breath. And I'm not gonna say it because it's too corny. But everybody have a great week. Go Jets! Jets football this weekend. So enjoy your week. We'll be back on Thursday previewing Jets and Giants.